as I recorded this podcast today, I am sitting in my car in a parking lot of a local park and watching my 13-year-old daughter on the swing set. And you might think that 13 is too old for a swing set, but there is literally no age that is too old for a swing set. So if you hear the creak of the swings in the background, realize that the other side of this park is surrounded by forests and there are nature sounds around me as well as I'm recording today and I'm trying to see God in this place. We are 17 days away from possibly the most divisive U.S. election in our country's history and everywhere I look I see shrines in people's yards set up to honor one candidate or another or worse yet, shrines on social media where people dishonor their relationships with other people and they just kind of start to look like they hate each other. So this message was one that I hoped would help bring some form of consolation into the next 17 days or so as we are looking for God in a very divided and very difficult place. Um, It feels like looking for water in a desert or um, looking for peace in the middle of a war zone and yet God wants to be seen and I believe that this is a very foundational message to what I want and what I think that God wants for us to realize about ourselves and that is that sometimes we look for God in the wrong places And sometimes we see a version of God that maybe fits our own agenda and not the true God of the scripture and uh, the God of the God that just awakens our senses to know that God is there. So even even on top of the scripture, I mean, you know, the Bible is great. The scripture is great. But we also have this innate sense of knowing and being aware of the presence of God. So this message is entitled, Would You See God? As in, would you be willing to see God? And my goal with this message is to encourage all of us to see God through the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our circumstances every day. And through these next few troubling weeks to uh, encourage us, to encourage ourselves day after day, to return to the, the uh, arduous task of continually looking for God in spite of difficult circumstances. So settle in, find yourself a park with a swing set, and uh, enjoy looking for God in unexpected places as you hear a message preached on October 18th, 2020 at Unity Moravian Church by me, Dana Myers, entitled, Would You See God? We begin this morning where our story paused last week. Moses had placed himself as an advocate between the people of God and God's anger at the people's sin. God acquiesced, and the Israelites were spared. I issued a challenge to consider the face of the one for whom God has called you to practice radical advocacy. 
This week, I hope you'll continue to dwell on that person or the people that God has given you to consider as we continue the story in Exodus chapter 33. Moses said to the Lord, See, you have said to me, Bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now if I have found favor in your sight, show me your ways, so that I may know you and find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. The Lord said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And Moses said to the Lord, If your presence will not go, do not carry us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people, unless you go with us? In this way we shall be distinct, I and your people from every people on the face of the earth. The Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing that you have asked, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, Show me your glory, I pray. And the Lord said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and will proclaim before you the name the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, the Lord said, You cannot see my face, for no one shall see me and live. And the Lord continued, See, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you see the face of God? If the God of the universe, the one of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who parted the Red Sea that helped David kill the giant Goliath, if that God gave you the opportunity to look on that face, would you take it? We might think we would. Sure, it might be nice to put a face to a name, to be able to picture who it is that we pray to in our mind's eye, to finally answer the question of the ages about God's long flowing white beard and robe. Yet would you really see the face of God? A kindergarten teacher was observing her classroom of children while they drew. She would occasionally walk around to see each child's artwork. As she got to one little girl who was working diligently, she asked what the drawing was. The little girl replied, I'm drawing God. The teacher paused and said, but no one knows what God looks like. Without missing a beat or looking up from her drawing, the little girl replied, well, they will in a minute. Perhaps Moses felt the same way on the mountain. Sure that as soon as God passed by that cleft place in the rock, 
Moses, would get to draw a composite sketch of God's physical form. After all, Moses and God were pretty close friends, and it's not very easy to keep up a relationship with someone when you don't know at all what they look like, is it? Yet I think Moses was surprised that day on the mountain. All prepared to see God, even God's glory, God's very essence, and hidden in a safe place in the rock to do so. God will walk by. Moses will peek at God, perhaps pull out his cell phone for a quick selfie with God's back. Hashtag me and the Almighty. Post on social media and voila, Moses and God are forever friends. But I still think Moses was surprised that day on the mountain at what he saw. The image that the story gives us is that of a dangerous God. A fearsome character intent on damning the people of Israel one minute and then relenting and sparing them the next. God reads in some of these stories almost like some form of cosmic bully. And this scene just reinforces God's, God's wildness and untamability. God cannot even be seen. Would you see God? I note this morning that the text doesn't tell us, as Paul Harvey used to say, the rest of the story. Did Moses peek at God? Did Moses take that chance? We know from the rest of the book of Exodus that Moses was changed by either what he did or didn't see that day on the mountain. Later passages tell us that Moses' face reflected like the sun because he had been in the very presence of God, but I find it interesting that this text doesn't actually ever say he got up the courage to look. I wouldn't. As much as I want to know God, the God as described in Exodus is scary and fearsome and imposing, impossible to know, impossible to grasp. This God is a God I'm not sure I want to see either. I know I, for one, would have thought twice before hiding in that rock and peeking at this God. I'd want to see from a distance first. Maybe, maybe Moses did too. Maybe God was so big that Moses decided to hide in that cleft and see what of God's reflection or image could be seen without actually looking on God. This much... I think I could handle. And I actually know, and you now will as well, what Moses saw when he looked at that big, imposing, fearful God. It's the same thing we all see when we look upon the character and person of God. God is knowable. This is the first assumption that we make when we come to study theology. It's the first thing we teach our children when we tell them about God. God is. God is. I am that I am. God is that God is. God can be seen. We will see God today and tomorrow. We will see God when we look for God. We will know God when we search for God. Perhaps you already know this God, or you think you do, or you have an assumption about who you think you know God to be. But I suggest that if we would begin foundationally with our understanding of who God is, then we will also find ourselves incapable 
of refusing God's call to advocacy, to justice, to integrity. In short, when we know who God is and when we see God for the real and true aspects of what God's character really is, then we can follow our true calling as disciples of this incarnate God in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then, shall we begin at the beginning? Let's look at God. Start at the top. God is love. Have you ever been to a wedding and seen the look on the groom's face just as the doors open to the back of the church and the bride begins the long walk up the aisle? It's the first highlight of the wedding ceremony and when most eyes turn to the back of the church. But if you keep your gaze on the groom's eyes, you will see God. Or a mother exhausted from childbirth the moment that the newborn is laid upon her breast. The gaze she directs toward fingers, toes, the nose of that little baby. Turn your eyes to her eyes and you will see God. God is love. God is joy. One of the saddest things right now to me about the pandemic is the loss of snow days. Children who can participate in class on Zoom will never know the utter joy of watching the news for the school closures late at night, hoping against hope that their county name will scroll across the screen. But remember for a moment those days when you or your children crowded around the family television set, long past bedtime, snuggled up in warm fuzzy pajamas and wrapped up in blankets, hoping against hope against a two-hour delay. Nobody wants a two-hour delay praying for the whole day. And finally, when that school's name crossed the screen and blankets and slippers go flying in excitement, and the next day, at the inescapable joy of sledding down the perfect hill, or the first bite of snow cream, or the perfectly melted marshmallows in the steaming cup of hot chocolate. Whatever the perfect snow day is to you, that is joy. And in that joy, in those faces, you have seen God. Or perhaps you're, you're not a snow person. Perhaps joy for you is found in the sand, on a roaring seashore, the salty breeze kissing your face and smelling the sharp sting of the ocean. Perhaps you would see God in that place, in either, or maybe in both. In joy, you have seen God. We find peace in surprising places. I'm learning in my biblical Hebrew class that the understanding of this term, shalom, moves beyond an absence of conflict. It ranges over several spheres and can refer in different contexts to physical conditions or a moral value, or, but ultimately to a cosmic principle and divine attribute or adjective of God. Shalom is well-being, tranquility, prosperity, and security, circumstances that are unblemished by any sort of defect. Shalom is a blessing, a manifestation of divine grace. In other words, when we see the well-being that Shalom brings, we see God. I think of this in an unexpected place, in the quietness of a hospital room, 
or by a hospital bed in a home as the final breaths are, are taken of those that we love the most. Mm, though it's strange, gone is the striving for breath, the rasping struggle of the body's resistance to its inevitable passing, to its inevitable, inevitable transition. And gone is the pain, the anguish, the dread, the separation. It's, it's, it's over. But left there is shalom. Our dearest love rests in the presence of our Savior. Surprisingly, and sometimes unexpectedly, we sense relief or peace. And we even use the phrase, rest in peace. I mean, they, they rest, as do we in the shalom of our Savior. And in that unexpected, strange place of peace, we see God. Patience, kindness, goodness. If you haven't yet realized that our journey to construct this portrait of God follows the attributes or the fruits of God's Holy Spirit, here are more clues as we continue our sketch. These fruits of the Holy Spirit of God help us to construct an image, a true picture of who God is and how God's character is defined. Patience, kindness, goodness. These three show us the nature of a God who is eternally parental in dealing with us, God's children. The patience of a kindergarten teacher helping a five-year-old to sound out the same three-letter syllables again and again. Cat, hat, bat, mat, pat, sat. Patience, patience, patience. Or the kindness of a stranger willing to change the flat tire of a woman he doesn't even know. And refusing to take even the last $10 bill that she has in her purse to say thank you. Just kind. The pure goodness of people who watch out for each other. To return a found wallet unscathed to its owner. Or to leave a generous tip on the table or with a delivery person. Or just to pray with someone who needs a shoulder to lean on. Or to listen. It's just good. Just pure goodness. To be truly good. To see good. To experience goodness. Is to see God. As peace is more than just the absence of war. Faithfulness is more than just the absence of unfaithfulness. It is the spouse who stays with her husband, carefully washing his withered body and caring for his physical needs long past the time when he can return the same care for her. It is being true to one's word, doing what you say you're going to do, following through when you commit to something or to someone. In the movie and book called The Notebook by Nicholas Sparks, the character of Noah keeps a journal of his life story. 
From the first time he encounters his wife, Allie, until their marriage, the birth of their children and grandchildren, and her decline in health and mental status, Noah relates the whole story from his notebook every day to Allie. But Allie has Alzheimer's. And she sundowns in the evening, forgetting about Noah's love and everything that they meant to each other, and not even knowing who he is. The next morning, he begins again, reliving their love story day after day after day who, for a woman who will forget his name before she even goes to sleep at night. This is faithfulness. A love that endures and persists, not just love, but faithful love. This is the face of God because this is the love and care that God shows for us. There is an image of Christ carrying a lamb that I think perfectly represents the gentleness that shows us who our God is as we continue our sketch. This God, this massive Somewhat terrifying yet all-powerful God that chooses to bend down and carefully cradle a baby lamb in his arms and hoisting her on his shoulders. This gentle God, this careful, tender God, our God, would be seen. This God, while massively imposing, is also terrifically gentle, wiping tears calming fears, carrying lambs. Lastly, on our sketch through the attributes of God, we turn to self-control. I think I personally struggle the most with this attribute of God's character, because for me at least, this is the area in which I'm the least like God. A God who gets angry and then changes their mind and returns to love and justice, and kindness. A God who never overindulges, but always makes the right decisions. To resist temptation and not give in to impulses. To resist bragging or gloating. To hold back on excess and self-regulate. This is, this is God. This is the face of God that we would see. This is the God that would be known. These fruits of the Holy Spirit of God paint for us a portrait of the character of this mysterious God that passed in front of Moses. This is the God who can be seen and wants to be seen and wants to be known. And thus we return to advocacy, uh, to which I called us last week as we conclude our journey over these couple of weeks to Sinai and back. We realize that it is just, it's not just we who are called to advocate, nor is it just Moses or Paul or Christ or the other great leaders of our faith. Remember that advocacy involves getting to know someone, listening, becoming the other, and seeing into the heart of the person for whom we would advocate. Isn't that exactly what God has done for Moses in this picture of who God is? God allowed God's self to be fully seen, fully seen and known and accepted. God has passed by Moses in the cleft of that rock and has heard the cry of Moses' heart to really know God. And God answered. God advocated. 
God sent us an advocate, the Holy Spirit, to show us the character and figure of who God is. Here we see this God of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We now have a working picture of this God. And this God has one more request for us through this passage. Will we see God? God's promise to pass by Moses doesn't come with the requirement that Moses actually has to look at God. That choice belongs to Moses. That choice belongs to us. It is the everlasting cry of Emmanuel. God is always with us and God always wants to be with us. The Holy Spirit, our advocate, wants to be with us. God doesn't insist we look, but God offers to be seen. And with every day that passes, sometimes we feel like God moves further and further away from us. As we grow closer to an election day that will bring pain and more division, we think that God maybe is stepping away. I've even heard it. God has abandoned America. Yet our God is a God who would be seen. Will we see God? Amen.